So we're going to have our ladies group coming up and sing at this time. Ladies, come on up.
Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Thank you, ladies. That was a blessing. That was good. Uh, I like that. When everybody else walks out, he walks in. Uh, there are some friends that are kind of the other way around, you know. When you need them, they're like, woo, and I'm gone. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful that the Lord is not that kind of friend. He's a friend that's sticking closer than a brother. Uh, look at Isaiah chapter number 6. And by the way, every once in a while, if you get a blessing from a song, try this. Amen. Just, just, just let it release it. Just let it out a little bit. And, and you, might, you might like it a little bit. Isaiah, I think some of you are worried you might be Baptocostal if you go too far or something like that. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6. Stand with me if you would for a little bit. Um, reading my Bible this week and came across a passage I've seen many, many times, but um, Lord just kind of got my attention in a different way this time around. Ever, ever read your Bible and you're like, oh, I didn't see that before, but you know it was there the whole time? Um, and uh, that, that's, a, that's, that's one of the signs that what you're dealing with is a supernatural book not written by men. Um, I've read a lot of books, and I can tell you there's a few, a handful of books uh, maybe for business purposes or even historical reading that I like, that I'll go back and read a second time. But I've never been like, oh, man, there's this huge nugget in here that I never saw before. Not like the Bible. Not like the Bible. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, going to take you to a, a place in time where a man had an encounter with God. And I, I think you ought to have those every once in a while. Maybe you have them every day, I think, really, as a Christian. Uh, the, the problem is we are bombarded with distractions, and it's very hard to focus on God when you're constantly distracted by other things. Uh, maybe some of you this morning during the song that was just sung, uh, rather than thinking about the words, I'm not judging you, I'm, I, I promise I'm not, I'm just trying to get you to relate to the message Maybe even during that song, your mind drifted to the bills and drifted to the job and drifted to this problem and drifted with the, to the divorce or drifted to the, the, the kid that was sick or whatever else may be going on in your life. We are so distracted, it's hard, even in church, to focus on God. And I just wonder, what would it be like to experience the Lord without any distractions? Isaiah got to do that. And there's some things I think we can learn from this. Look at Isaiah 6, verse number 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet. And with twain, the, 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 the three sets of two, uh, uh, six wings in total, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Now that smoke wasn't, you know, puffing on one of these. It was different kind of smoke, all right? Uh, not this or this. It was a smoke that was a, a picture of incense filling the house of God and thus the presence of God filling that temple. You know what the Bible says about your life if you're a born-again child of God? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. How much of that is filled with Him is up to you. Look what it says in verse 5. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone. You know what He did not say? Woe are the Democrats, for they are undone. 
Woe are the Republicans, for they are under. Woe is my neighbor, for he surely is under. Woe is my husband. God help him. Right? You know, he said, woe is me. That's important to note. When people meet with God, they kind of get a better sense of who they are. Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth. Does not sound very convenient. I had a double root canal this week. It sounds a little bit like that. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. And then after all that, he hears the Lord speaking to him. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Send me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I'm going to ask the birthday boy. We have birthday twins here at New Heights. Unfortunately, one of them is sick and not able to be with us. But uh, Steon and Joe are birthday twins. The other day, Steon goes, Pastor, would you believe it? I measured myself against Joe. We are the same height. It's amazing. It's awesome. Uh, Brother Joe, would you open us up in a word of prayer? Amen. Yeah. Amen. Be seated if you would. I think sometimes the way we present salvation is that it's the it's the apex. You know, there's this moment in life, and let me just say this, getting saved should be one of the greatest moments in your life. I don't want to take anything away from that at all. I mean, it is the tr- if you're not saved yet, trust me, you want to get saved, all right? Uh, it's the greatest thing to be saved, but I think because of how sometimes it's presented, it's like, okay, now you're saved. This big apex has been reached in your life, and it's all downhill from here. That's not the way to present salvation. Salvation is the entrance point into a real, living, daily walk with God. And so you experience God the day you get saved. But let me say this, that should not be the last day you experience the fullness of God. The Lord wants you to experience God, let me say it like this, maybe unfiltered or can I say it like this, without distraction. Uh, multitasking, let me say it like this, is a farce. 
You can't really, no one really uh, technically, I mean, listen, the only exception to this maybe is a mom. I've watched moms. I don't know how they do it. One kid's calling my name. I'm talking to that one kid. My wife, one kid's calling her, baby's screaming. This is going on. And at the same time, she's saying, don't forget the dogs. They need to be fed. Pick up the bowls. I'm like, my brain starts melting when I watch that. I am not a multitasker. I want to focus on one thing. As a matter of fact, it's the reason why when we go on a, on a vacation, when we started our church, uh, there was no vacations. You don't go on vacation. What, what does that word vacation mean? We had no one. If I left the church, there was no preacher. So I'm thankful to be in a place now, years down the road, where we can go step away for a little bit. Whenever we do that now, you know what my wife says? Can you please, for a little bit, disconnect? Why? Because if I'm looking at my phone the whole time, worrying about business and worrying about this and worrying about that, I cannot enjoy the thing that I just invested this money into and this thing that I'm telling my family, we're going to go away and be a part of this thing. I can't enjoy that if I'm looking down on this, worried about everything else. Does that make sense? I, I, I can't do everything at one time. I'll say it like this. If everything is a priority in your life, nothing's a priority in your life. And if you're a child of God, that your relationship with God should be the most important thing in your life. They say, they've done studies, and they say about 2.5% of people, 2.5% out of 8 billion people are able to multitask effectively. And I guarantee to you, those 2.5% are women. <laughs> Us guys can't do it. A study in the Journal of Experimental Psychology uh, they did this study. You know what they found? Uh, multitasking is less efficient because it takes extra time to shift mental gears every time a person switches between tasks. This is why, and I'm not picking on you younger folks, this is why it's so dangerous to be glued to a phone that you flip, 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 because your mind isn't focusing on it. You're constantly going from one thing to another. That's why when people come to church and there's not a smoke and fog you know, show and, and a band and whatever else, they're like looking around going, we can, we're listening to preaching for 45 minutes for an hour? What's wrong with you people? They, go, they want the Bible. That's what's wrong with them. But if you live in a society where you're going from one thing to another, to another, to another, you never really concentrate on one thing. And I don't mean to pick on, 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 on the generation that's just before me, but that may be why there's a big struggle with reading books today. I just, I'm used to images that are flashing before my eyes at all times. And I'm trying to learn things by TikTok and by YouTube, and you don't retain it that way. You retain things when you read them and they're down in a book. That's why, now I'm not, if you have a digital Bible, I'm just glad you have a Bible at all. I'm not picking on you. But if you have a digital Bible, and I've used one before, here's the problem with it. I don't remember what side of the page that verse is on because it changes every time you open the app up. Are you with me? And with your Bible, that's a book that you read and flip pages with. I can remember, I don't know the reference, but it's on the right-hand right hand side of the page toward the bottom next to the coffee stain right? I mean, that's how you retain things. But, but, but if you're constantly flipping from one thing to another and trying to multitask your entire life, you learn nothing. You retain very little. You can't concentrate on the most important thing. Studies have found that multitasking reduces your productivity by 40%. So when you're flipping from one thing to another, you think you're doing all this stuff at one time, and really what you're doing is you're giving a little bit of, infor- of attention here and a little bit here, and from the time you switch from here to here, there's time that's lost because your mind is not made to do that constantly. When we try to do two complex tasks at the same time, our brain doesn't really multitask. That's why Jesus says this, no servant can serve two masters. 
You can't. You, you, you're going to have to you're gonna love one and, and, and hate the other. That's why Joshua says, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And in other words, there's a constant, there's an intentional effort to go, look, there's all this other stuff going on, all this other stuff I can invest my time and my mind and my passions into. But first and foremost is my relationship with God. And I would say this, and this is not a trick question. I, you know, if you ask questions sometimes in church, no one wants to raise your hand because, you know, the preachers, if you, who loves God? I never raise your hand. You liar. You don't love God. If you love God, you do this and this. Let me ask you a serious question. Who wants to know God better? I do. And listen, I know this, the moment I got saved, it's almost like, in a sense, and, and I want to be careful, it's not an exact uh, apples for apples thing, but gentlemen and ladies that are married, would you say that you thought you knew your husband or wife when you got married? And after 20 years, now you know them? All right, well, well listen, when you uh, got saved, you're like, the only thing you knew about God is that he could save you. You knew that you were a sinner on your way to hell and, and, and your sin was separating you from God, from the love of God for eternity. And you said, you know what? I can't work my way into heaven. I'm going to trust what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross of Calvary to save my soul. That's all that I knew. I did not know everything about you know, being eternally secure. I didn't know that God could provide all my needs. I didn't know all the things that God would do in my life. I just knew him as my savior. But now I get to know him as my father, as my friend, as my Abba daddy. I get to know him in all these different ways that I did not know him before. Why? Because the knowing experience does not end at salvation. That's where it begins. So if you're a child of God and you're saved, you ought to desire. There's something inside you that goes, man, I want to know him more. And listen, I've been to Bible school. Bible school by itself does not satisfy that need intellectual absorbing of information, sitting and listening to messages, it's a great thing to do. But going out and trying to live it out so you can know who God is, that's another matter altogether. And you ever look at the Old Testament families, how dysfunctional they are? <laughs> I love when people are like, man, you know, we're 2020s, you know, like, so dysfunctional. Yeah? Well, you got brothers killing each other. You got, you know, uh, uh, one wife offers her servant to her husband. I mean, just weird stuff, you know? I mean, dysfunctional. Do you know what one common thread is with all those, all those families? Gentlemen, he had more than one wife. It's a bad idea. One, write this down, boys, is enough. You know why? It's going to take you the rest of your life to focus on that one. When you try to focus on another boy, you are asking for trouble. You know what? God intended relationships to be that way. And when you're saved, your relationship with God should be such that you go, you know what, Lord? I want to concentrate. I want to block these other distractions out. I want to know you. One of the things the devil uses in these last days, especially with the advancement of technology, it's funny, we used to have smart people and and, uh, and not so advanced technology. Now we got smartphones and dumb people. Amen. <laughs> you know, the phone says to turn here, but it's a lake, you idiot. Don't go in the water. You know, <laughs> uh, the, the, the thing that the devil's going to use in these last days to, to to get a lot of Christians is not necessarily drugs. It's not necessarily fornication. It's not necessarily the sins of the old life. For a lot of Christians, it's simply this: I'm just wore out. I got nothing left in the tank. I don't have time to focus on the Lord. 
I don't have time to concentrate on my relationship. I just, I'm doing this and I'm doing this. Can anyone relate to that at all? The Bible says in Daniel that the devil will seek, as the Bible says in Daniel 7, to wear out the saints of the Most High. I understand Daniel 7 and doctrinally is about the tribulation. I get that. But man, we are so close. It's like you can taste it. Like we're getting real close to the days of Noah. Right? Like just as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And the Antichrist and the devil want to. Listen, if he can't get you to leave the new life, he will get you wore out in the new life. So that you just start to despise and you start to come to church and go, here we go, another couple of songs, then we do this, then we do this, then we go home. And it's just a routine and it's part of your routine that has you wore out in your life right now. Instead of coming to church and saying, man, I can't wait to meet with God. Man, I get up in the morning. God, I can't wait for you to speak to me. What do you have for me today? I guess instead I get up in the morning and go, well, got to read my chapters. Here we go. You say, what's the problem? I'm wore out. I'm tired. It's all just routine. It's no longer about the relationship. Imagine coming home, gentlemen. You walk in. You say to your wife, hey, honey, how was your day? How are you? Good. Glad to hear it. So good. Wonderful. Give her, you know, you leave your coat at the door, walk upstairs, and that's it, like a robot. And yet, that's where a lot of Christians' relationship with God is at. It's robotic. It's formalistic. It's ritualistic. Dear Father, thank you for this food. Thank you for everything. Be with the orphans. Be with the widows. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, listen, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray. I'm just simply saying when you find yourself getting to a place where it's all just part, because you're just wore out, and you can't even think about having a relationship. Let me just say this much. Before kids show up, husbands and wives, I may know what I'm talking about. I love you. Kids show up. It's your turn. No, it's your turn. You say, why? Just wore out, man. You're just wore out. You know, the devil wants to do. He wants to wear you out. If he can't get you to walk away from the Christian life, he'll just make you tired in it. You know what Paul says, talking about serving God? He says, uh, for that which is coming, that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. And look, obviously in that passage in 1 Corinthians 7, he's talking about being single versus being married. But the idea is simply this. The Lord's desires for us to be as, uh, as, as least distracted as possible, to get the most out of what he desires for our lives. But we miss out on so much. Oftentimes because we're distracted and we're wore out. Come with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19. I like people that put effort into things. I do. I like it. I like watching someone just pour their heart and soul out into a game and lose at the buzzer. You go, why do you want them to lose? I don't want them to lose, but I just like seeing all that effort. And they go, man, I gave everything I got, and I still came up short. But at least I know I gave everything. At least I didn't do it halfway. I was focused. I was determined. I gave it all I had. Would to God we get to the end of the Christian life and say the same thing? I like Zacchaeus. You say, why? Because Zacchaeus is nothing like Joe or Steon. He's a little man. He's a wee little man, was he? All right? I relate to Zacchaeus. Tim, brother Tim, are you with me on this? We're about the same height. Okay, all right. He's like, I don't know. I'll tell you if I'm with you at the end of the illustration. I don't know about right now. But I, I, I like Zacchaeus because he's got some obstacles between him and God. And yet he finds a way. Look at Luke 19. Look, if you would, at verse 2. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. There are some obstacles right there. But, but notice verse number three, and he sought to see Jesus. What are the next three words? 
You know the problem with a lot of Christians today? You have a preconceived idea of who Jesus is. It's who the world has told you he was. It's who another church told you he was. Uh, and listen, let me just say this and be frank with you. If the only time you think about Jesus or talk to Jesus or dwell on him or learn about him is in church, the closest understanding of Jesus you'll ever have is going to be filtered through me, and you don't want that either. I'm here to help you, but you need to have your own walk with God. And Zacchaeus goes, I want to see Jesus who he is. And look what it says. He could not for the press. You see, what does that mean? People got in the way. What else? Look at verse 3. He got in the way. He was, this, this bothers me. I relate to this. He was little of stature. Amen. I know he's there somewhere. Lord, where are you? People got in the way, and he has his own human limitations himself. But I want you to notice in verse 4, he ran. He didn't walk, he ran. And by the way, he was rich. Do you know in those times, a rich person didn't run? Why? I got servants for that. I'll send, I'll send someone else to go run and find him and bring him back to me. I'm not going to run, I'm rich. But by me running, it shows that I'm, I'm kind of like a commoner. And, and you know what he's basically saying? I am a commoner. I am beneath Jesus. And yes, I'm little of stature. There are limitations that I have in this human life. And I cannot reach him where he is. So you know what? I'm going to put all the effort in that I can. This is not about getting saved. This is after you're saved. Understand, you can put all the human effort into getting saved, and you'll die and go to hell without Jesus Christ. It's not about your works. But after you're saved, there is effort that is involved. I have people all the time going, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. And my question is, are you reading your Bible? No. Why? That's how you're going to get to know him. You've got to put effort in that relationship. I just don't know who God is. I'm saved now, but my understanding's still kind of shallow. Well, if you want to know who he actually is, you've got to put effort into that relationship. So he runs, and then look what the Bible says. He climbs up into a sycamore tree, and those trees would get huge, and they fan out like this, and he climbs up in there. Some of the ones, at least on the east coast of the U.S., they have camouflage on the bark. And so he's climbing up this thing, and he gets up there, and he's thinking of himself, man, I'm going to look like an idiot up here, and if someone notices me, man, God help me. You know who the first person is that notices him? Can I tell you this? When you feel like, I hope I don't make a fool of myself, the Lord's watching you. He notices the effort you put in noticing him. Look at verse 5. The Bible says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, and what does this Bible say? He saw him. He saw him. All through the scriptures, you'll find men that want to pursue God. They want to know God more intimately and more deeply, and we should have that same desire. And if you're lost without Jesus Christ, it starts without, without, without any hope and without God. It starts with knowing Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as your Savior. I was reading Brother Flick's prayer letter from the month of March, and, and he's talking about how uh, they've got this anniversary service going on with Brother Bevan's Welder, a pastor in, from Corpus Christi, Texas, and he's down there in South Africa with our missionary, Brother Mike Flick, and, and they're at a restaurant, and this guy overhears him named Armand, and he comes to church, and that same uh, day that, that he comes to church, another guy named, uh, I'm going to try to get the name right here, uh, Boyt Shepo. Boy Shepo comes to church. I'm guessing he is not Afrikaner. Uh, Boy Shepo comes to church, and, and he comes to church uh, by the testimony of a young lady named Palessa. And, and Palessa was the kind of person that was always, always, always going to church. And it was a certain bus that would come by and pick people up for the services. And, and, and that Sunday morning, she didn't really feel like going. You ever feel like not coming to church? 
And Boyd Shepherd goes there and goes, well, why aren't you going to church? You always go to church. I want to go to church. I want to learn about Jesus. I, I, I want to learn what it means to be saved. And, and so she goes, oh, man, I guess I have to go now. Ever been there before? So she, you know what happens? They run to try to catch the bus. bus is already gone. And guess what? He doesn't let that stop him. He's not an American is what that means. <laughs> he walks. They walk for an hour to church. He goes to church. He goes Sunday morning. Hears about knowing Jesus. Comes back Sunday night. Hears about Jesus Christ. Comes back Monday night. And he says, Pastor Mike, what must I do to be saved? Amen. You say, what is that? That's someone that wants to know who God is. But can I say this? That it does not end after that. After he got saved, he came back the next night and he goes, where should I start in my Bible reading about Jesus so I can learn who he is? Who he is. You know what Job says? Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Aren't you glad you don't have to know where to, you know exactly where to find God if you're a child of God. He says this, that I might come even to his seat. You know what he's saying? If I just knew where to find God, boy, there are billions of people that literally cry themselves to sleep at night thinking that same exact thing. And if you're a child of God, the Bible says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. You know exactly where to find him. Thank God for that. You know what David says? Oh God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee, and my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee. What do you long for? What are you seeking in life right now? Is it God first or are you distracted? Over there in the Gospel of John, Nathaniel comes to Christ and he comes to believe on, on Christ as the Son of God, as the Messiah of Israel. And at and, and one point, the Lord tells Nathaniel, uh, I know you. And Nathaniel goes, how do you know me? And you know what Jesus says? I saw you under the fig tree. You know what that tells me? The Lord's watching way before we even notice him. The Lord is looking intimately into your life, whether you realize it or whether you want it or not. The Lord is intimately understanding what's going on in your It's not that he doesn't know you, it's that you don't know him. He saw Adam run and hide. He saw Moses in the wilderness. He saw Hagar running. At one point, Hagar, in distress, and some of you ladies learned about this recently, she says, Thou God, she names a well after the experience she has with the Lord, and she says, Thou God seest me. You say, why? Because God's watching. God knows us. The problem is we don't know him. He saw David fleeing when he messed up. He saw Saul persecuting the church before he was saved. And can I say this? He sees you. Go back to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to give you a couple of things to consider this morning in regards to experiencing God without distraction. The first thing I want to say is this. Experiencing God without distraction means there's only room for one authority in your life. I want to point out in verse number one, the Bible says in the year that King Uzziah what? Isn't it amazing how Isaiah did not see the Lord on his throne high and lifted up until another king was out of the way? You know what that's a picture of in your life? It's a picture of you getting out of the way. Now, you may not know much about Uzziah, so I'm going to give you some facts about him. He starts reigning when he's 16 years old. He reigns for 52 years. And when he starts out, the Bible says he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and he sought God, and when he sought God, God made him to prosper. But a few verses later, it says, but when he was strong, 
until he was strong. You see what happens? In other words, when you get saved as a child of God, you start out in the best foot. You start out right. You start out right with God because your sins are washed away and you've got this new relationship with God and everything is new. But after time goes by, you kind of get a little self-sufficient. You go, I've learned that. I know that. I've been to church. I've been around for a couple of years. I know this. I, I don't need God here. I don't need God here. And after a while, you're strong in your own eyes. You don't pray about things. You just do them. You don't ask God his advice. You just do them. And if you want it, you go after it. You don't ask God what he thinks about it. And if someone says something that, that maybe rubs you the wrong way, you don't even stop to go, God, is that even true? Let alone, should I get offended about it? You just live your life as if God isn't there. And you're strong. The Bible says in that story in Second Chronicles 26, you don't have to turn there, but in that story, because he was strong in his own eyes, he took it upon himself to do something that was not his place to do. And he goes to, to offer incense, which is something that the priest would do, not the king. You know what he's saying in so many words? I don't care what God says, I can handle it. See, what happens to Uzziah? He's smitten with leprosy. And he dies that way. That's the backstory. In the year the king Uzziah died. Can I say it like this? There's only so much room on the throne of your heart. And God ain't going to play musical chairs with you. I think a lot of Christians, that's what they do for most of their Christian life. You know, wait for the music. Okay, God, I got it. It's mine. Lord, it's mine. The Lord's like, God, help yourself. I'm not going to fight with you over that. I'm a gentleman. I'm not going to push my way into your life. I'm your savior. If you want me here, you get off the throne. I'd be glad to sit there, but I will not force you off. Major question in life today is not about uh, solving poverty or social justice or any of that stuff. You know what the major question is in all of the world today? Who or what is the final authority? The question for you as a believer, who or what is the final authority in your life? There's only room for one. You go, well, well no, 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 uh, I, God is my final authority. Okay, what about when family pushes you? Are they the authority or is God? Uh, all right, what about when friends come your way and they go, hey, but we, I think you've gone too far for this Jesus stuff. You're a Jesus freak, stop that. And are the friends the authority or is God? Now, wh what about whenever your job says, hey, we don't think church matters a whole lot. We need you here on these days. Who's the authority in your life? You see, there's always going to be a battle for who's on the throne. The Bible speaks of Saul being a picture of the old man and David being a picture of the new man. And, and, and the Bible says there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. You say, what is that a picture? A picture of two rival kings, one that is anointed by God and one that has outrun his existence and his usefulness. And if he would just resign and get out of the way, God would use this one. That's what God wants in your life. He wants Jesus Christ to be expressed to the entire world through you. But if you're on the throne, this is what I want to post. These are the friends I want to have. This is what I'm going to say. This is what I'm going to listen to. This is what I'm going to watch. I don't care what God says. And guess what? You'll miss out. You'll be distracted. And you miss out on what God wants for you. I'll say it like this. God will not fill something that's already full. He won't do it. If you're full of you, He's not going to pour himself into you. There's only, listen, you, you only have so much time. 
and you only have so much mental capacity, and only have so much room for passion in your life, and if you are giving it somewhere else, there's no room for God on that throne. Let me ask you this. I just, it's just a question of, we really, you know, we oftentimes go, I love God, you know, I, I really want to follow Him. How much of our lives are spent speaking about Him, His goodness, and His mercy, and His grace, and His love, and His kindness? How much of our lives are spent talking about ourselves, and what we want, and our desires, and what we think? You say, what's the problem? The wrong king's on the throne. In the year that King Uzziah died, all of a sudden I saw God. Well, was God not there the whole time? He was there the entire time. You just didn't see him. Why? Someone else was in the way. I've seen parents who make a God out of their children. Parents, don't do that. Your kids are a blessing from the Lord, but they're not the Lord. And at some point, you have to stand up and say, kids, this is the right thing to do, whether you come along or not. It's up to you, especially if you're an adult. But if you're in my house, this is what we're doing. You say, why? Because you either make a God out of God or you make a God out of your kids. And sometimes it's done the other way around. We can make a God out of anything. Make a God out of relationships. But can I say this? There's only one king that is going to sit on that throne. You decide who it is. So who's sitting there right now? John says it this way. Learned it in Sunday school. He must increase, but I must Look, if you would, at verse number three, can I say that not only do we learn there's only room for one authority. Secondly, look, if you would, at verse number three, one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Watch this. The whole what? Is full of his glory. Can I say this? Secondly, it means the Lord's influence is spread around me. Whenever I am not distracted and I'm just taking God in, all of a sudden it just seems like God is everywhere in my life. It wasn't that he wasn't before. It's just that I didn't see him. And now that I see God for who he is and the wrong king is off the throne, man, it's like the Lord is, is influencing people around me. And they're going, man, what is that in your life? Whatever that is, I, what, what did God, won't you want people to walk up to you and go, I don't know what it is about you, but you're different? Wouldn't that be a blessing? Now, I know, I understand people say, well, we shouldn't live by lifestyle evangelism exclusively. I get that. But it's not a bad thing if someone walks up to you and goes, man, there's something different about you. And not because, you know, you got weird bumper stickers on your car or something weird like that. But, but because of your walk with Jesus Christ. I believe this. I believe when you're taking God in, he has a way of working himself out through you. Can I say, the world is filled with crime and hatred and selfishness and addiction and sin and wickedness. And you know what God wants to do? He wants to fill it with him through you. But if you're distracted and you're full of self and the wrong king's on the throne, it won't happen. David says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. You know, when you look at God, there are certain characteristics that go, man, that just stands out. You know what one of them is? It's a word that's viewed in, our, in Christianity as kind of unpopular, maybe archaic or old-fashioned. Here it is. It's a four-letter word. It's holy. You know there's only one quality of God that's expressed three times in a row throughout your Bible twice? It's not justice, justice, justice. It's not mercy, mercy, mercy. It's not grace, grace. And those are all great, amazing qualities. I am thankful for his justice. I'm thankful for his mercy. I'm thankful for his grace. I'm thankful for his love. But not one time I was to go, love, 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 grace, grace. It's holy, holy, holy. Because when the wrong king gets out of the way and you see God for who he is, you realize he is holy mercy. He is holy love. He is holy justice. He is all righteous. He's right and I'm wrong. <laughs> 
You know what you got? You got a holy Bible. And you got a spirit of God that lives in you. The Holy Spirit. <laughs> and you're to be a holy people. Dwight L. Moody says, A holy life will make the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns. They just shine. C.S. Lewis is how little people know who think that holiness is dull. I mean, really, honestly, when you think, when you think of a holy people, here's what a lot of people think of. I'm holy. Or they think this, holier than thou. That's one time that Jesus says that about the wrong group of people. That does not mean we kick the baby out with the bathwater. Holiness is good. The, the, would you not say the world's lacking for purity today? The world's lacking for some things that are pure and right and clean. Do you know how God, understand this, nature abhors a vacuum. When the world is not filled with God, it's going to be filled with something. And the influences, the people around you, I just don't see God in any of their lives. May it be that the only way they're going to have God in their lives is through you. And the reason why you don't see God in them is because they don't see God in us. Well, I go to church and I read my Bible and I do it. Yeah, but you're, some of that is just done out of ritual, out of religion, not out of relationship. My dad, listen, I, I think it's not a bad thing that, that parents that we teach our kids, you get up, you make your bed, you brush your teeth, you comb your hair, you get your Bible out and you read. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing. But let me tell you, at a certain point in your life, it can't just be because mom and dad say so or because the preacher thinks it's a good idea, but because I want to know God, who he is. Holiness is described as a state of being holy, purity or integrity of moral character. Freedom from sin, sanctity. It is applied in Webster's 1828 dictionary, applied to the supreme being. Exodus 15 says, who is like thee, glorious in holiness. You know what the answer is? No one's like him in that way. But he does turn around and say to us, be holy, for I'm holy. Remember that story of Moses going up on the mountain? And when he comes down off that mountain, his face is shining so brightly, they got to put a cover on it. Wouldn't it be awesome if we left church and everyone was like, man, cover that up. I, I mean, honestly, I, th- th- let me tell you, summertime's coming around, there's some things that need to be covered up, amen? But, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you just walking with God so closely and being so immensely wrapped in who he is and enveloped in his nature and his goodness and his holiness that you forget about everything else. And through that, it's not that you're just so uh, uh, heavenly minded, you're no earthly good, but rather if you're heavenly minded, God will use you and he'll pour his nature out through you on others. Would to God, they would say, man, I don't know what's going on with you, but it's a lot to take in. Praise God. They had to take Moses and say, hey, can you just kind of, you know, just put a little veil over your face, you know? Kind of like a bride at a wedding, you know? Put this little veil on your face because we can't, we can't look at you without our eyes burning. It's kind of a little bright. You ever watch someone go out? Listen, listen. When I go out in the sun in the summertime, I just turn black. I do. I get dark. I got pictures of me in the 90s with poor quality cameras, and all you can see is my teeth and my eyes, man. When I lived in Pensacola, Florida, true story. True story. But, but my wife, however, man, she goes out in the sun, and it's like lobster, 
And after she'd been on the it's kind of like, oh, hey, you may want to kind of put something on that to take care of that. It would to God that we walk out of church and we walk out of our Bible reading time and we walk out of our fellowship with God time and we walk out of devotion time and we walk out of prayer time with our families and the world looks at us and goes, man, I don't know what that is, but I want some of that. Amen. Over in Revelation, the four beasts cry out, holy Holy, holy. They say a day and night with no rest. What an amazing thought. You know, the Bible says about the early church, they turned the world upside down. You say why? They were so enthralled with who Jesus was. So fixated on the Lord. And that fixation, you say, oh, that's just kind of fanatical. That's what the word fan means. Fanatic. I'm a Broncos fan. I'm a this fan. I'm a that fan. You know what that means? You are a fanatic for that team. Why would you not be a fanatic for Jesus Christ? Can I say this, number three, look if you would at verse number five. Go to Isaiah chapter six and look if you would at verse five. (laughs) I like this. It means I get the proper perspective of myself and the world around me. I, I want you to notice the sequence of things. Watch this in verse five. Woe is, you know what rhymes with that? Joe, woe is Joe. Woe is Dennis, Uh, woe is Dean, woe is everyone else but me. You know what's really easy to do when you're not walking with the Lord? Become self-righteous and look at people that aren't like you and pick them apart and be really critical and go, I wouldn't do it that way, I'd do it this way. And I love it when someone goes, hypocrites in the church, I don't go to church. You're a hypocrite and you're judging those in the church for judging you. How's that for a hypocrite? You say, what is that? We all struggle with this. Until we get our eyes off of ourselves and off of people. And let me tell you right now, ministry is about serving God and serving others. And at times, if you're not careful, you'll get so fixated on people, you'll lose sight of God. And you'll start picking people apart and saying, I wouldn't do it like that. I'd do it like this. I know what their problem is. Why are they so weird? Come on, let's be honest. Sometimes you come to church and go, man, that guy's just weird. You guys are really quiet right now. Kind of like, is he talking about me? Probably. I don't know. But, but here, all joking aside, I, 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 we come to church sometimes, you kind of go, man, I can't stand this person. I can't stand that. You know what the problem is? Your eyes are on people instead of on God. And when your eyes are on people, you pick them apart instead of saying, woe is me. You know, I've got to get the proper perspective of the world around me. I really do. I need to get to that second, though. I can't look at the world first. I got to look at me. So you know what he says? Woe is me, for I am undone, verse 5, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Did you notice he did not blame culture or society for his problems? He says, me, here's the reason why I'd rather watch that than get close to you. Here's the reason why I'd rather have this relationship than have your relationship, God. Here's the reason why I keep longing and thirsting and hungering for someone to acknowledge me and have that relationship with that other person rather than having that with you and have all my fulfillment and all the need for acceptance and all my insecurities resolved in my relationship with you. Here's why. Because I've got the problem. I'm not blaming anybody else. I'm not blaming my church. I'm not blaming my pastor. Not blaming my spouse. Not my kids. Lord, it's me i'm undone you don't know about the pharisees they're always walking around pointing out where everyone else could do something better you know a lost person can do when they're not saved well at least they're not as bad as someone on death row 
I've witnessed the people and they go, well, I don't, I'll never forget. I knocked on the door of a house in a nicer neighborhood one time. You need to go to the folks over there on the other side of the tracks. Okay, so what you're saying is your cocaine uh, addiction is better than their pot addiction. Is that what you're saying? So what you're saying is your white-collar embezzlement and tax fraud is better than their fornication and dope addiction. Is that what you're saying? Because, listen, we can do this all day. The reality is it doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is. If you're a sinner, you are lost and without hope, without God. And God loved you enough to reconcile that gap through Jesus Christ. And he wants you to know him. When Peter met the Lord, you know what he says? Depart from me. You know what he does not say? I'm him. He says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. I don't even belong. I don't, I don't belong around you. If we were honest, you know what we'd all say? When we come face to face with God, I don't belong around you. Nobody gets up to heaven. When I get there, I'm going to tell God. Job kind of thought that way, too. I'll find him. I'll talk to him. And when God shows up, Job's like, You're not going to get up there and tell God what you think. You're going to get up there and he's going to read you the act. And you're going to go, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. You're right, Lord, you're right, Lord. You might as well get it right now. And understand that in God's economy, we all fall short. And you as a child of God, you want to know who God is? You know what's going to happen? The closer you get to God, the more you're going to realize, I'm not like him. I'm undone. Lord, it just seems like everything that you want I want the opposite. And Lord, it, it seems like when you're trying to get me focused on you, I just get focused on me. And Lord, it seems like when you try to get me to help other people, I, I, I get stuck in, in what I'm going to get back out of it. I, I love when, when we have people that in our church will, will pick someone up and bring them to church or, or offer someone a ride or, or, or bring someone a meal and they get nothing out of it at all. Man, I love that because that's when you know, man, God's in that. You know, Paul says, when I'm weak, then am I strong. You know, Paul recognized, I've got weaknesses, but God can fill them. You know why some of you struggle so much with insecurity? Because you're still looking at you. You don't like the way you look in the mirror. So you know what the girls do these days? Get the right angle. (laughs) Right? Or in the mirror, you know, some of you guys, you got like, you know, a one-inch bicep, you're like, let me just say this for you young men, all right? No grown man should ever take a selfie in the bathroom. Amen. It, 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 Amen. Where'd you get the idea that was a manly thing to do anyways? I ain't going to build you up. James like, I had nothing to do with it, man. <laughs> nothing. Don't look at me. But, you know, this is why people are trying to fill that void with social because they feel insecure about who they are. And the reason you're going to continue to feel that way is because you're looking to you or to others to fill that void that only God can fill. David says, have mercy upon me, Lord, for I am weak. We're weak. My life is undone. My lips and my heart are unclean, and my people are undone. But you know what that allows God to do? It allows God to address some things that not everybody can see. Look, if you would, at verse number 6. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me. Now, now imagine, imagine you just get done saying, Lord, I'm undone. My lips are unclean. You know, this is in my, I'm, I dwell in the midst of, of people of unclean lips. 
And all of a sudden you see this like weird six-winged creature fly at you with a coal in, in tongs and God's going to open wide. I'd be like, mm-mm. <laughs> First off, that's the stuff nightmares are made of. Secondly, <laughs> right? I wouldn't be like, okay, Lord, ah. You know, but you know what it says in the book of Psalms? Open thy mouth and I'll fill it. That's what God says. You know what happens? I'm, we go, God, I've got this problem. I've got that problem. The Lord's like, let me follow that. You're like, oh, but not like that, Lord. I've got a different way. No, the Lord's like, no, no, but you don't understand. I know what your problem is because I can see below the surface. And you're saying, here's my issues, but it's really this. Let me get to that. Listen, I went in to get my, uh, uh, I went in on a Friday and I had this tooth thing bothering me. And uh, his dentist was telling me like, you ever see, while he's working on my teeth, you ever see paintings of dentists in the 1700s? I'm like, no. Um, I, uh, <laughs> like who, who walks around going, let's go see some paintings of dentists in the 18th century. And then he proceeds to tell me, yeah, they're really creepy. They're always smiling really sadistically. <laughs> Why is he working on my teeth? Oh, I thought I had a cavity. I honestly did. I didn't think it was a big deal. It just had some pain there. And uh, they go and they do x-rays, you know, and that, that process is painful enough. Bite down this thing. You know, the most unnatural way of opening your mouth. Oh, uh-uh. You know, the little thing comes around, takes a scan of you, you know, and puts it up there. And he's like, yeah, see, so what you want to see here is this. I'm like, okay. He says, but your tooth looks like this. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's not good. He goes, so what we're probably dealing with is we got to do a root canal. I'm like, okay, well, how long does that take? You know, he's like, well, you know, hour and a half. I was like, well, when will I feel better? About 12 hours. Liar. <laughs> he starts working on my teeth. He goes, oh, it looks like this is going to be a double. I'm like, ugh. And I mean, I, I've never, I'm a grown man. I've dealt with pain. I can deal with pain. I've de- pain tolerance, all that. Pretty good. The guy's in there for longer than two minutes while my mouth is open, trying to find a shot. And I was like, bro, you got to end this, man. <laughs> if you don't end this, I'm going to grab that and you know, stab you in the eye. The process, listen to me very carefully, the process to get me to a place where he could work on it was painful by itself. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Then he got in there and he's grinding stuff out. You know, and and, and I I like it when people tell me what they're doing. Rather than, like, okay, if you put me out, put me out. I don't care. If you want to put me to sleep, I'll wake up and I'll be done. But if I'm awake, can you tell me what's going on? Every once in a while, he doesn't know what I'm saying. I'm trying to ask, what are you doing, you know? And so at the end of it, the lady goes, well, what we did is this. We drilled these holes. There's this infection. We suck it out. We put medicine in. And I'm like, oh, that sounds disgusting. And, you know, she said this. She said, there have been times where people have come in and they had no idea it was below the surface. And it was so disgusting, we had to stop because the smell filled the room. It's disgusting, isn't it? Yeah. Probably not as bad as the things that are below the surface in our lives. The Lord starts drilling and you're like, okay, Lord, that's enough. And he's like, we have not gotten there yet. Uh, Lord, I, I'm good. Yeah, but, you know, we got, and then they, did, they stick these two little like paper looking things and stick them right back in there to fill. Listen, they took something out. Do you realize you didn't just leave it out? He had to fill that void. You see, what the Lord is doing there is he's going below the surface. Where things you don't even understand are in your life. So, Lord, I want you to use me. I want, to, I want my influence, your influence to work through me. We've got to deal with you before we can get to that. 
You see, experiencing God without distraction means this. We address the issues below the surface. Because when you do that, the Lord can speak to you very clearly and very directly. We have, uh, in our house, we, we, uh, we have an issue with washing dishes. <laughs> I wouldn't say that I have an issue with washing dishes, but other people have an issue. And yesterday, she comes, she comes by and goes, oh, is this clean? I said, no. Oh, it's okay. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Listen, there, God is not going to use a dirty vessel. He wants, he wants to use you, but he wants to clean you first. You go, well, I'm already saved. Well, your soul is clean, but what about the rest of your life? You see, when you get saved, God takes care of your eternal you, your soul but you still got this. And you still got the last 20, 30, 40 years of habits that you form in your life, ways of thinking about people, ways of thinking about God. I've watched Christians when God, when things are going good in their life, God's blessing me. When things are going bad, God hates me. What, what, do you, what did you, where did you get this idea that he's a genie in the bottle? Where did you get this idea that God is like Santa Claus and if you're not getting the, to do, the list done, that he want, the wish list taken care of, that God's against you. Some of those things are there to bring things out below the surface and bring them to light so they can be dealt with in your life. Right. You, you say, well, well, preacher, I want God to use me and I want to experience God in his fullness without filter, without distraction. Then let God get to the things below the surface. Because when he does that, look at verse 8. It means I get to hear what he desires from me. Think about that. The creator of the universe wants something from me. Someone who's so holy and so pure and so righteous wants something from me. What would I have to offer? He got ri- I, he's got all the riches in the world. He's got the universe at his disposal. I have no riches. He's got all the wisdom of the, wor- of the, of the universe. I have no wisdom to offer. All the talent, all the ability, it's all within his hand. So why in the world would he ever want to use one of us? And the answer is simply this. He has chosen the weak things and the base things and the, the things which are despised to confound the things which are mighty. God gets glory out of using us. Look, if you would, at verse 8. That the Lord put that thing on my lips and my iniquity was taken away because the things that come out of my mouth are a reflection of my heart. Look at verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. I think everybody... Here am I, Lord, send me. There is Joe, Lord, send him. Like, it's, it's, it's really easy to go, man, I really think you're called to mission field. You should go. You should. Well, maybe God wants to deal with you. Maybe God wants you to, to do some. Maybe God wants to work in your life. Maybe there's some lost people God wants you to reach. Maybe there's that lost cousin, that lost uncle, that, 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 family, that, that lost coworker. And, and because you have limited God in your life and you're so distracted and so wore out, you give God the leftovers. He's not getting your full attention. You're multitasking your way through the Christian life. They don't get what they could get from God because of you. Because you're not hearing from them. Why? Because of everything else we just read. It's a process. I hear people say all the time, I just wish God would speak to me. He's talking. You're not listening. 
The reason you can't hear him sometimes is because the wrong king is on the throne. And the reason you can't hear him sometimes is because you don't want to deal with the things below the surface. And the re- you understand the process? They say in the world, trust the process. Trust the Lord process. You know the Lord is concerned for other people? And the way that he fulfills that concern is through you if you're a child of God. You know what blows my mind? Talk about eternal things. And, and for some Christians, like, yeah, 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 so what? Go to a ball game. Woo! The Rockies. I mean, look, look, look. I'm, I, I know I'm Puerto Rican, so by default, I should love baseball. But I got to be honest with you. Like, you're sitting there, and, you know, you're talking about the weather, and the rock, of course, feels a nice venue, and what a great hot dog. And every once in a while, a ball gets hit, and everyone, ah! And you come to church, and like, this is the God of the universe wanting to work in your life. You're like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Whom shall I send? Who will go? You know why some never hear this commission? The old king's still on the throne. There's a lot of time spent looking at people and on self. And they have no idea what their purpose is as believers. Come with me if you would to Acts chapter 9. We're actually going to close in Acts chapter 9. Hear my Lord, send me. Eight billion people on the planet. About four and a half million, between four and a half and five million in the state of Colorado. And one of my favorite things is when someone says, I just feel like everything's being done already at church. You have not talked to me if you feel that way. And you have not talked to the Lord if you feel that way. You've got a lot of job security here where we live. Everywhere you look around you, there are people that are lost without Jesus Christ. There are Christians that are are wandering without a shepherd. Christians wandering without a flock. You you say, what is that? It's your job to go. And it's your job to be sent of the Lord. And the Lord desires that from your life, but you won't hear it. You won't experience it if you're distracted. Look at Acts chapter 9. See what's happening here. Saul is knocked down to the earth. Look at verse 4. He fell to the earth. This is Saul who eventually becomes Paul. And he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? You see, the Lord gets right to the point. Before he can send you, before he can use you, he deals with the issue at hand. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to? That's a great question. If you're saved this morning, you know you ought to ask the Lord, what do you want from me? He wants something from you. Notice what he says, arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And look at verse 8, and Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw what? The last thing that he saw before he went blind temporarily was the Lord. That was not an accident. The Lord was trying to impress upon him Quit looking at people. 
find yourself in a place of vulnerability. Accept that you are not me. Understand your limitations. Deal with your insecurities. Let me bring those things to surface so that I can eventually use you to write half the New Testament to reveal the mystery of the body of Christ and the mystery of the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit and this mystery and that and the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory and the mystery of Christ coming back, the rapture. What a blessing that those things are found in this book, all because of that man, Paul. But really what it was, was this. When God showed up, he responded the right way. So my question is, will you? Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, and we thank you that you're real. Thank you that you care to know us. Thank you that you care for us to know you. Lord, I might dare say something. Lord, I believe this to be true for myself and every other human being in this room. We don't know you as we should. We are distracted. Lord, our eyes are on things and on self and on others. We can't see you because stuff is in the way. Lord, we ask this morning that you would reveal to us individually as you, your Holy Spirit works through us, that you would show us what are the things that are in the way. Lord, that we might remove the wrong king from the throne, that we might just let that king die off. And that leprosy, a picture of sin in the Bible, Lord, just let it die off. Reckon ourselves to be dead indeed, on a, on a, uh, but alive unto Christ, dead to sin, but alive unto Christ through God. Lord, I, I pray that this afternoon your people would sincerely walk away not just going well good message or bad message or uh, what an experience or but rather they would go lord i want to experience you like isaiah did i want to see you for who you are i i, I want to to see you fill everything around me lord i want to i want to speak for you i want to be sent for you so many christians they get saved. But they're looking at people, looking at the job, thinking about the bills, looking at the issues, looking at the problems. And they're just so overwhelmed. They don't take time to even look at him. Looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down on the right hand of God. Get your eyes on him. this and Christians spend more time being offended about things than saying God where have I offended you (laughs) we're not in the right position you know Saul was on his journey he's just kind of living his own life and then the Lord shows up and he calls him out for who he is and reveals himself to Saul. And Saul's response is the right response. Lord, what would you have me to do? I I pray that every Christian in here, if you get nothing else, you'd you'd at least stop and ponder that question. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask a real simple question. If you're here and you don't know what it means to be saved, you're not sure what it means to be born again. You, you're not sure that heaven is your home. 
You'd like to have that assurance. You'd like to know that God is your Father, that heaven is your home, that your sins are all washed away. That load, that burden of guilt that works its way through life sometimes through depression and anxiety because there's something there I don't know how to deal with. If that's you today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm not going to point you out, but I'd ask you to be honest with yourself and with God, more importantly. And I'd, I'd ask you to, with no one looking around, if you know you're not saved, and you know that's a need in your life, you say, I want to know Him. Well, let, me, let me point you to the access point. The access point is Jesus Christ Himself. He will show you who God is because He was all God and He was all man. And He relates to divinity and He relates to us as humanity. And He loved you enough to die for you. If you're here and you've never been saved but you'd like to be saved, no one's looking around, would you be willing to slip up your hand and go, Preacher, I'm not saved, but I'd like to be. Anyone here like that? I won't point you out, I promise. It's not how it works. We can't manipulate people into salvation. You either get saved because you want to trust Christ as your Savior, or you don't. But if you're not sure, can I encourage you not to walk out of here unsure? Can I encourage you to grab someone that can open up a Bible? Grab me, grab one of these other men in this church, if you're a lady. Uh, grab a lady in this church say, hey, I'd like to know how to be saved. But don't walk out of here without knowing that, without really knowing who God is. You can't, you can't even begin to know who God is without getting saved. Christian, I'm going to just say a couple closing comments and we'll be done. Is your mind cluttered? Your mind is like a computer. It's got only so much memory. And when you fill it with everything and everybody else, and then you say, I'm not hearing from God, this is why. When you get overwhelmed and the Christian life becomes a ritual or a routine, that's when you need to step back and go, Lord, you are not just an idol made with hands. I don't want to treat you that way. You are my father. You are my best friend. You are my savior. You are the Lord. I want to re-engage. I want our relationship to be what it should. I want to know you better. As Paul says, that I may know him. for being here today. I hope, my prayer is that you got something from the message, you got something from being here today, something from the time of worship, um, that you would sense that you're among friends, people that want you to walk more closely with the Lord Jesus. And I just pray that you walk out of here, Christians, with a desire to be closer, to know Him better than you did before. Uh, let's close with a word of prayer. Thank you for being here today. And if you'd like to join us Wednesday night, we're going to start a new series. We just finished one on the Bible itself. Going to start a new series, 7 o'clock, um, talking about social media. All right, don't, don't run away. Don't think we're going to just burn it all. But we want to present a biblical outlook on all this stuff. 
We've got issues in our society, and if we ignore them and bury our heads in the sand and act like they're not there, we do no one any favors. And so how do we as Christians interact with this? What does the Bible say? The Bible doesn't say anything about Facebook. No, it doesn't. You're right. But it says stuff about gossip, and it says stuff about images, and it says stuff about pictures. And it, there's a lot of things that are in the Bible that relate to where we're at today. So I encourage you to be here Wednesday night as we go through this series and uh, learn how to deal with it, especially parents. Can I just help you out? If you got young ones in your house, um, they're going to grow up with a, a lot of them are going to grow up with a device in their hand their whole life. And we've got to teach them how to deal with this stuff the right way. Because if we don't, you can pump as much Bible as you want on Sundays and Wednesdays. They got that thing with them the rest of the week. And we got to help them out. So while this is not just for young people, it's for everybody, there will be a little bit of an attention on helping those younger folks through this process. So if you can be here Wednesday night, we'd love to have you. And DBC, Disciples Bible Club, uh, downstairs Wednesday night as well. Let's close in a word of prayer. Discipleship. Uh, we will go ahead and meet in here in 10 minutes and start our class. So feel free to fellowship and mingle for the next 10 minutes. Uh, Brother Eric, if you close us out in a word of prayer, sir.